Well, hey there. Welcome to the presentation today. We're talking about youth apprenticeships in healthcare, and we are specifically talking about occupations in information management and information technology for healthcare. Whoops. Shoot, that was a great presentation. It didn't go to the... Uh, that was great. <laughs> I love it. I think it just skipped too quickly. Oh no, yeah, Deb, I love that. I, I hit the, the keyboard control. Yeah. And I think it skipped that. So, okay, let me go back to the beginning. That's okay. It's sort of delayed a little bit yeah. when you use the keyboard. Yeah. 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 And it makes a noise, which I yeah. think. Do <laughs> y'all hear that? Like when yes. I, I did hear, I did hear yeah. it. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah. So it's, so I have to remember to just keep my, to use my cursor, but you know, I kind of like using the cursor while I'm talking sometimes too, to call it. Yeah. You on the slide. Can point things out. Okay. All right. Okay. I like the hay there though. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I'll use that. They're so engaging. Keep it up. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm going to mute myself. Okay. In three, two, one, begin. Well, hey there. Welcome to our presentation today on youth apprenticeships in healthcare. We are specifically talking about information management and information technology occupations in healthcare. So, so glad you've come. A little bit about me. Why am I talking about this? Well, and I have to tell you, I am real excited about doing this talk today because I've been in healthcare for a long time and I am uh, I am probably one of not too many people who have spent a long career that is literally decades, multiple decades, and more than half of it in health information management, and then almost half of it in health information technology. And I have done corporate level leadership of both information management and information technology at large national healthcare corporations. I've, I have led outsourcing operations in the information technology space. I have consulted and I've also spent six years as a C-level leader, so actually chief innovation officer for American Health Information Management Association, which is an association of over 100,000 members and certification holders. And it's also one of the oldest professional associations in healthcare. It was founded back in 1928. So that was a long time ago. Um, so what I'm hoping is that I can apply some of my, my background, my experiences to, um, to, to help promote the apprenticeships uh, for youths in healthcare because we need a lot of help in healthcare. Here's our outline of what we're talking about. First of all, why do we need youth apprenticeships for healthcare and specifically for information management, information technology? We'll talk a little bit about, well, are these two areas the same thing? How do we distinguish them? We'll talk about occupations in information management and then information technology for healthcare. Um, we'll also talk about, uh, well, where do people work in these roles? That'll, that'll help you to understand a little bit, of, I think, about what's going on in the healthcare landscape. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, high-level apprenticeships in both of these areas. How long do they last? And sort of, you know, what, uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about them. We'll talk about the pay. We'll talk about employment outlook. Uh, we'll talk about other things you can do based on backgrounds in these two areas. And then we'll share with you um, via, the, via the slide deck some resources and references. So for those of you who want to uh, gather additional information on apprenticeships in general, as well as these particular occupations. So starting first with why, why would we be doing apprenticeships, youth apprenticeships in healthcare? Well, first of all, there is a real demand for workers in healthcare. And in fact, it's getting extreme. Uh, this is 2020, right? So studies have shown that uh, certainly we've been able to forecast where um, the, the number of openings that they're going to be in by 2025, which is now less than five years away, 
we will have um, a big gap between available workers and work to be done. And it's so significant, in fact, that by that year, 2025, 1.6 million new openings. And we're saying new openings, not replacing people who are already there that have maybe, you know, retired or changed jobs, but new openings uh, will be there. Now, certainly, when you, and when you think of healthcare, you probably think mostly of, you know, people who are hands-on care for patients, facilitating their care, delivering care. But there are many roles that are not hands-on care, but are administrative and technical. And um, while there are, are certainly a lot of roles that have, that will have higher demand, but will have higher demand. And we've talked about some of them in other presentations like this, but there are, expected to be there are needs today and there will continue to be needs in administrative and technical roles. In fact, they're so significant that roles in information management and information technology for healthcare are categorized as bright outlook. So based on the projected growth levels from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they have been designated as bright outlook. So it's really a solid indication that you're looking in the right direction if you want to identify career opportunities that will have um, a continued demand. So let's start with one thing we said we'd, we'd talk about is information management and information technology. So health information management, you've seen the letter HIM, stands for health information management, health information technology. Are they the same thing? Are they the same thing? I'm reading your mind and I'm seeing that it's a little confusing. Either that or you are saying, Deborah, please make these squares stop moving around. So, Wow, let's look at it this way. If you take the word health out, does that help? So are information management and information technology the same thing? Hmm. You might be thinking, well, there probably are some differences, but I don't know that I can put my finger on it. So let's look at it another way. Let's think of water. Water is necessary for humans most living or organisms uh, to thrive, right? You have to have water. And you have to have water that you trust, that you believe is safe for you to drink. Um, so water is necessary. And what you, what you would assume is that coming out of your tap, even though a lot of people like to add some filtration to it, but what's coming out of your tap, you're assuming that it's, it's been processed appropriately, it's meeting standards, um, and you know that, that water is used and reused. And you can't really depend on that water's purity and it's fit for use, the fact that it's fit for you and your family to drink, unless you, you have the, the infrastructure around the water's sourcing around its filtration, around its pumping, around its storage, and then around its ultimate delivery back through the faucet and into your glass, right? Well, I think, um, I mean, in my mind, the way that I have addressed data and information in healthcare it, is that it is fluid. It is so fluid because it's like the water in the ecosystem. In healthcare, data and information flow from patients to caregivers to into electronic health records. They're, uh, capture, it's captured multiple ways. It is then stored in databases, pulled out, used, edited, pro further processed, shared between from one organization to another. And now, um, you know, with the digitization of data in healthcare, and with the need for sharing of information across, across uh, organizations in the same community, in the same state, and even at the national level, and the need to share information you know, with, for example, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, 
with the insurance companies. You, we have to, to accept that data and information are fluid and that we have to, to, um, to ensure that what we are passing on from one organization to another or from one doctor's office into a hospital or what we're putting onto the patient portal that you're accessing, that that data and information are trustworthy. And what's essential to making it trustworthy in terms of is it reliable in terms of its data and its accuracy and does it make sense and can we rely on it for diagnostic purposes and for treatment purposes. Those are roles that are typically conducted by health information management professionals. We used to, back in the day when I started in this field, it was called medical records because they were paper medical records, but now it's health information management because it is far more than just the single paper record, right? So roles in health information management, um, many of which are apprenticeable now, are what helps us to ensure that the data and the accuracy and the reliability and the appropriate release of information, um, uh, all of those, the guardrails are up and, and rules are being followed. And then to assure that it is available, we've got to have the right, the technology in place. Databases have to be architected, have to be administered, um, data has to be governed, and, and then the information technology solutions that are used themselves have to be governed. So um, the way that I like to look at health information management and health information technology is that what's common is information. So when we think of HIM and when we think of HIT, um, they're really two sides of the same coin. And what's in the middle of that coin inside those two, two outward sides is the information. And you would not, even though in certainly over my career, I've seen the big focus on the technology and technology solutions, you wouldn't need the technology solutions. You wouldn't need this infrastructure if you didn't need the, need the information, right? You wouldn't need the water distribution infrastructure in a community if you didn't need the water. The water is what it's about. The data and information are what it's about, but you have to have the technology and the infrastructure enablers to make sure that you can trust that information. So, what do you think? Are they the same thing? What's the same as the information and how critical it is and how important both sides of this coin are? Okay, so where do health information management and um, uh, tech, information technology professionals in healthcare work? And, um, you know, one, one point I didn't make in that, uh, the slide about, you know, why is there so much demand is that there's also demand because the landscape's changing. Um, where healthcare uh, is delivered uh, is changing. And, you know, that's been going on for a few years, but, you know, we're seeing now uh, care delivery settings that, uh, certainly when I started in healthcare, uh, didn't even exist. Um, but this is something that's changing. It's being brought about by a demand for quality and safety of care and more affordable care. So that is one reason that you are seeing care uh, starting to be delivered uh, closer to home and sometimes in the home. And, uh, but those are examples of why, why we're seeing actually some more opportunities in healthcare is because we often have to reshape jobs reshape tasks, realign tasks, based on where that care is, is being delivered. So that's a reason actually that there are a lot of places that you see information management and information technology um, folks working in healthcare. So hospitals, clinics, doctor's offices, these would come to, to mind probably immediately for you. Ambulatory uh, surgery centers, um, diagnostic centers, corporate and regional offices of healthcare provider organizations. And now what we're seeing with healthcare, healthcare in a community, for example, is they, uh, they very often are becoming a part of, um, of, an, of an integrated um, uh, healthcare system. And so they weren't necessarily remoted, um, 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 they weren't necessarily combined into one corporation or company before, but they are now working so closely together that they have become integrated. And um, 
So, you know, that's an example. There may, it may be within an integrated uh, healthcare system, you might have all of the health information management uh, functions consolidated and information technology functions consolidated. And you may have those areas consolidated together even with revenue cycle management. So, so billing and um, uh, auditing and uh, you know, working with the, um, the intermediaries of the insurance companies, those can all be coordinated together as shared, shared service centers for that integrated healthcare um, solution. So where we say, so you might be in the actual facilities. So let's say using the, the term four walls of these facilities, you may also be at a separate physical service center where let's say all of the health information management roles and the people who need to be there on site are working together and then the IT support may be there too. Um, although another thing that we've seen going on far more in healthcare is that sometimes these functions are actually outsourced to other companies. So you may be working in information technology in a role that we'll be discussing later, but you may be doing it because that function has been outsourced. Now, not done very, very often uh, in, in hospitals that that would be fully outsourced, but in long-term care, nursing homes, in home health, it's very standard to see those functions outsourced um, to a company that focuses on the information technology needs for that particular industry. And, and sometimes that is the best way to do it. So there are opportunities at those healthcare providers, all these here, but there are also opportunities where they decide that they're going to sh have a shared service center to, to meet the needs because they're also servicing the physician's offices or the hospitals or the outpatient surgery that is a part of their integrated system. Or they have decided that they're going to outsource some of those functions to a third party and that may be entirely remote. Now, let me throw another wrench into it. You may be working, let's say if you are a medical record coder, which we're gonna be talking about, you may be working at a hospital or a clinic and, they may, and you may be working for them. You are part of that staff. They are counting you in their FTE count uh, for, the, for the HIM department, let's say. But because of technology, because of the records you have to use, because of the technology that is available, because of the communications that are available, you may be able to work remotely. And you may only go in periodically for meetings with the other staff. This is something that we have seen done a lot in health information management. And in a, a while back when there was a transcription role, but now since voice recognition exists, um, those kinds of roles have been uh, largely replaced, um, or at least at, not entirely, but largely replaced. So there, there are not as many opportunities there, but coders, uh, a strong role, many, many coders today work from their own home offices. They are connected. Um, on a regular, ongoing uh, to the healthcare systems, uh, electronic um, records that they have to access to do their job, to the electronic health records, to the coding, coding systems that they use. Um, so offsite, it's based on the job duties and the type of employer, certainly offsite and remote. Um, it is not uncommon at all to see a help desk for an IT operation, uh, for um, uh, for you know, for an insurance company or for a healthcare system, uh, that that the workers are providing that support remotely because they can access the help desk software. They can all of the management of that. They also have visibility into the network. They can help explore what's what's you know what problems the user is having. So very often that those uh, those jobs are done remotely. Um, so, you know, these kinds of careers, as opposed to other types of careers in healthcare, um, you know, if you are a person who wants to explore a career that you can perform remotely, then these two, because they are administrative and technical, they can be remote positions. And that's becoming increasingly supported by healthcare providers, um, you know, and they are working hard to make sure that they've got all the security and the controls around it to make to maintain to make sure that they are 
uh, HIPAA compliant. You know, that's, that's around health information, um, uh, you know, security, privacy and, and security uh, rules. But increasingly, these jobs are uh, handled remotely, and they can be. And so the, and these are some of the few in healthcare that can be done. Because obviously, if you are a hands-on a, a nurse's aide or a surgical assistant uh, or you know, a, a home health aide, you can't do that from your home. You're going to do it from the home of the patients that you're taking care of, or you're going to do it where the physician's office is that you are working at. Those kinds of things you can't really do. Um, you know, from your home, but HIM and HIT roles you can do from home. And then the, the other thing I'll say is that this all is evolving. So, you know, 10 years from now, we'll, we'll have additional settings in there, uh, I expect, or it may be that some existing settings today have been combined and, um, uh, you know, we've seen opportunities to, to further streamline in healthcare. Okay, so now let's talk about um, an apprenticeable role. Um, now, first of all, let me say that when we say apprenticeable occupation or apprenticeable role, that means that the specific occupation has been approved by the Department of Labor Office of, um, Office of Apprenticeship uh, for registered apprenticeships. And a registered apprenticeship with the Department of Labor is a special thing. Um, uh, people who complete a registered apprenticeship um, have a um, basically have a recognition that's going to going to stay with them essentially forever. When you complete a you get you get a certificate from the Department of Labor um, that that proves what you have done to complete it. Um, you have gone through a, through a an, an apprenticeship that has first of all required specific related technical instruction. Um, you have been um, supervised and mentored and assessed by someone who knows that process inside and out, and you have been assessed as being competent in it. And so it's, it's a, it is a special thing, but for, for, um, for each of these apprenticeship occupations, there is a specific code. So this is called an ONET code. And so this is the one for medical records and health information specialists. Now, in a, I'll show you in a next slide um, that, that will, will show, help understand that that's not just one thing. I've mentioned coder a few times. Coder does fall into that category, but that's not the only, the only job that you could perform in this specific code. Um, but at high level, people who work in medical records and as health information specialists are, do a lot of processing of information. And uh, you know, in, in the and in, in some settings, things are still very manual in terms of paper records. So there's a lot more processing and maintaining of records uh, that goes on in these people um, you know, performing those, those tasks, take care of that. But all of these activities have, have standards of certainly ethical standards, legal standards. There are regulations around uh, many aspects of health information uh, in, in every single state. Some of the, and some of their, these are national, federal regulations, and many of these are driven by statutes, so individual state laws. Um, but, you know, it's a key role because remember when we talked about keeping water pure so you can trust it to drink it? So when we say we want to make sure that the data and the information are accurate, are complete, are timely, so that they can be used, it's, you can thank the medical record and the, the health information management um, uh, workers for helping to assure that. And again, um, this particular um, this particular occupation is included in the bright outlook um, occupation. So there's going to be a continued demand. So here are some additional. So that very same role, the one that, that had the, the same uh, code that we just looked at on that last slide. Here are some other things um, that can be done. Uh, so coder, and it might be a hospital coder, an, an inpatient coder, or an outpatient coder. There's also a role for professional fee coding. So that means coding for, for example, a professional practice, like a radiology practice, um, so that because very much um, uh, reimbursement, whether it's inpatient, and actually going back to the 80s, 
coding started directly impacting the level of reimbursement for care, you know, based on the diagnosis and then based on the, uh, a diagnosis related code um, or group. Uh, so, but this, but in the outpatient setting, uh, has the same impact. So coders are are essential, and everywhere that um, an organization is being paid, whether it's through insurance, um, through um, and that's what most of it is, uh, through federal funds uh, or or private other private pay, uh, you have to have the, them accurately coded to reflect what what went on, not just the diagnosis, but what what all was done uh, to treat the patient. So these, so the coding field is actually huge. Um, just so you did get you to give you a feel for that. Two major associations, and we'll talk about where you, where certifications are available. Two major associations: AHIMA, the one that I mentioned, American Health Information Management Association, and the other one is AAPC, American Academy of Professional Coders. Um, uh, you know, and uh, just taking that last example, AAPC has over a hundred and ninety thousand members. And almost all of those members have coding credentials, and they are you know, they are adding more people to to their ranks of in membership. Um, so it's it's a huge association. Um, it's uh, it's again bright outlook. There you know there will continue to be need, but there but coder is not just one thing. That's what I wanted to to explain is that inpatient, outpatient, uh, professional fee coding, and there are also others. You can actually do risk adjustment coding, which is on top of the coding that has been done. Uh, and, they, these, and there are certifications that exist for these. But the ones that we have up here, all of these things um, uh, can be included in apprenticeships um, for, for health information, for this, for the, this particular um, health information um, uh, specialist and in coder role, medical record and health information specialist. Um, so some of these you, you can see, when you see a, a, a differentiation like specialist and technician, a lot of these are here simply because the frequency with which um, people recruit for them. They, they tend to, some of these have come about, these alternative titles because they recruit for people using different, um, you know, different uh, titles. Uh, like, you know, a difference between a clerk and an analyst, a, a coordinator and a technician. Um, but there is essentially, in the eyes of the apprenticeship occupation, they are fitting into the same role. So let's drill down and be a little bit more specific about that coder role that I keep bringing up. Well, these are typical tasks right here. Yeah, you, know, you can't even start coding unless you have reviewed the record. And a lot of this, uh, this, this activity actually, in looking at inpatient coder, some of this actually is done while a patient is, let's say that a, hospital, a patient has a five-day stay. They actually might initiate some of this review activity and preliminary coding on the first day and the second day and the third day. So some of that is ongoing throughout the stay and then it's finalized after it discharge and all the information is, is available. Um, but so it, it's done uh, by um, multiple individuals in a typical hospital, uh, just because it's a high, it's high volume. Um, but they also converse. In other words, they're not doing this in a vacuum. Uh, they sometimes need to consult with their supervisor or the physician on a particular case or multiple physicians on the case. And then there is another related related occupation uh, called clinical documentation improvement specialists. Um, and because the clinical documentation improvement is, is now a, a recognized role and it's really been recognized since about 2007. So it's very solid. There's an association that just exists um, for uh, CDI specialists um, and AHIMA supports it. Um, and that AAPC support it on the outpatient setting, but not the inpatient setting. So, um, Coders, even though they, and they have a key role and it's very focused, they still work with others and consult with others on what they're doing. Um, they code the diagnoses. And so there are, you know, there are, uh, there is a classification system, which is a numeric um, system largely. Um, and actually there are, what we use in the United States, we have our, we, you, it's a WHO, um, uh, you know, uh, coding set that in the United States, 
um, our physicians have actually done clinical modifications of what WHO uses. And so what we use in the United States, even though it has been adopted by some other countries, it, it is our own. So the diagnosis codes are classifications, and then there are classification codes for procedures and for interventions. Uh, so procedures doesn't necessarily mean surgery or major surgery, but it can use, it, it means like, for example, diagnostic interventions like um, well, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but um, it, lot, there are lots of procedures that are formed for diagnostic reasons even. So, you, so they code the diagnosis and they code the procedures using the documentation available that is uh, in the electronic record. And in most, most typical hospitals today, they are almost completely electronic with their medical record. Uh, although in some cases, they've got a couple of different systems that are talking to each other. Um, and that's why we need really good people who are detail-oriented performing this kind of role, this coding role. Um, so they are, they are relying on the documentation they have in the system and sometimes additional ancillary uh, data that may have to be scanned into the system. So it may still be paper. Uh, and then they use software that works with their electronic health record. And sometimes it's embedded in the electronic health record to actually do the coding and then to assign the case to the right diagnosis related group. And this is, these two functions or these two, two duties within this coder role are very critical because that DRG actually determines what the hospital will be paid for that stay. So it's, uh, so it's a very important role. Um, you know, there are, are some additional components that go along with that, but the coder is really key in this entire process. And so they become key in the whole revenue cycle. So the revenue cycle, it means that you are, you've, the charges that you have made and then, uh, then and the billing, the charges, and then the whole management process for how you get paid and monitoring that. Uh, coders in HIM roles are seen as being very critical to that function. Now, certainly not that HIT, information technology for healthcare roles, are not seen as essential because they've got to help help assure that the systems stay running, right? So that all of the applications um, continue to work and that the data are all accessible. So let's say a few things about apprenticeships and then we're gonna jump back into some more detail uh, on both HIT and um, HIM roles. Um, so I, what I've done here is I've actually combined uh, the coder role and then also kind of the, the the, the user support role that we're focusing on with IT. Um, first of all, you can see that we've got under type, that means the type of apprenticeship it is. And so apprenticeships are typically competency-based. In other words, you have to demonstrate competency along a, a specific set of, of skills. And you have to demonstrate that you have the knowledge to do it. So competency-based. Some are strictly time-based. In other words, there's a, a set of material that has to be covered, but it should be done within a specific time. And they don't rely as much on the competency assessment. And then there are hybrid, which means it's both. An apprenticeship may be a combination of the two. And certainly the apprenticeship sponsors put the framework around and the specifics around the apprenticeship um, so that it makes sense for what needs to be accomplished for the specific job that they're apprenticing. And um, so, so the interesting thing here is that you see that this is done in a year for each one of these. Now this one year has a lot packed into it. And in some cases, some people come in with some of the um, uh, required technical instruction in advance of getting on the job at an apprenticeship. Um, and sometimes it's actually incorporated into, um, you know, into what the, is being provided by that uh, sponsor, by that sponsor. Sometimes the, the RTI, the Related Technical Instruction, uh, has been provided um, through, a, through a community college and sometimes a student has, has been able to take some of those courses because they re, they're involved in dual enrollment um, effort. Um, and you know that's certainly a, uh, which means that they're going to high school and they're also getting, uh, get, doing coursework at a junior college or community college. So they are, 
accelerating their education and they're getting ready then to move into um, an apprenticeship where they will have hands-on uh, instruction and mentoring and further training um, by a, a person who, um, you know, who knows that role again, inside and out. So, um, so, so here we can see that it's one year in length, but in some cases that education may already be um, provided outside that one year and sometimes it is included in that one year. And um, what I've mentioned RTI, the Related Technical Instruction, a couple of times, that HIM coder role um, uh, it, it requires, and, and I can tell you these are specific courses that are required by American Health Information Management Association for you to take the certification exam. So most of the apprenticeships are structured so that they can help assure that you can become certified, but they require courses in anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, medical terminology, health systems, and then also courses in how you do coding. So the coding classifications uh, systems that are in use. Um, because even though you do have a lot of technology that facilitates the coding and classification um, process, um, you have to be able to do it manually to understand how it is done, understand the, the rationale behind it, and understand, you know, kind of the science behind it, because you actually are employing what you know about anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, which means all types of drug, uh, drug use and treat, drug treatment, and the terminology. You, doing a coding role draws on, and really does require um, a, a high level of knowledge and people who really like to dig into the detail. Um, you know, the other thing we like to point out about apprenticeships, so whether it's an IT role or whether it's a specialist, um, you are uh, getting an early start into a career. And you know, the great thing about it is you are earning while you're learning. So um, th that's a, a, a real advantage for youth apprenticeships. So I mentioned that there were certifications um, for the, this is specifically for coders, uh, in healthcare. So AHIMA has three. Um, actually, this is a, a, a kind of, can seen as a little bit lower level, but the uh, coding uh, specialist is, um, that's the highest level coding uh, certification that AHIMA has. So it stands for uh, Certified Coding Specialist. This is Certified Coding Associates. And then um, the CCS-P stands for Physician Office. So the, the nature of the coding in a physician's office is actually uh, very different from the inpatient setting, uh, reimbursement rules, but also primarily because the nature of the care that's provided in an office versus a hospital is also very different. Now, AAPC, and this is the organization that's got really a, a lot, very large number of, of, of coders uh, who belong to that organization. Um, and they actually have more uh, additional certifications other than these three, but these are the, th the main three. So a certified professional coder, certified outpatient coder, and then a certified inpatient coder. But most of their, their expertise and their training is around the outpatient setting. So very often you will see uh, in physician's offices that the, um, the coders may carry the AAP, uh, the AAPC certifications. And uh, in addition to these, there are other, other things that are related to coding that you can do. And I'll try to hit on, on those toward the end when we look at other things that you can do based on these careers. Um, so let's talk about the pay. And here we're talking about, this is the, that occupational code. This is not just coders, but Coders on average are not too far away from this. Actually coders, especially coders who have a certification are, are gonna be really up in this range here, at 50 and above. And you will see um, that, you, that coders, depending upon the nature of the coding that they're doing and whether or not they're doing auditing along with the coding, are they supervising? You, you can see that the 10% the um, of the medical record specialists were at a much higher level. And so people who go, move into coding roles who have, um, who have the certifications and perhaps multiple certifications, and depending on what they're doing with it, um, can, can make um, uh, very decent salaries. And so you can see that 
what we have here for Maryland is uh, slightly above what that national average is. But these were the averages. This is not the, not the whole range because you can see for coders from 46 up to 78. And this is, um, I think, fairly recent. Yeah, it's actually like 2019 wage data you know, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, what about what education levels do people have when they're pursuing this, this role? And some of, these, some of this education, um, they actually may acquire you know, while they're in an apprenticeship as opposed to in, uh, ahead of it. But I think it should be reassuring for those of you who are younger and looking at doing this, maybe still in high school, is that many people pursue this strictly with a high school diploma or a GED. So here, that, that number is over 63%. So it's, this is a, it's, um, it's a, it is an opportunity that is very solid for, for youths who want to put in the work uh, to, to learn what needs to be learned to pursue this career. So let's talk a little bit about the information technology roles um, for healthcare. And we're gonna be, even though there are multiple, uh, we are focusing on this particular one, um, it's, which is all part of this ONET code, this one right here. Um, and it's titled Computer User Support Specialist, but there are other titles for this role, which uh, you'll see uh, on the next slide. But in general, what people with this occupation do is, well, they're basically assisting computer users. So when you, if you're having a problem, you, you've got, in your, let's say you're in a hospital, you've got a speed dial to tech support to help you out with something. And uh, so they're providing direct assistance to computer users. Um, and they get involved in answering questions, uh, res just resolving issues that you, the users run into. Some of that's in person and some, and a lot of it's via telephone. And sometimes um, it's done, um, virtually um, and you and uh, but 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 very often you'll you'll go through some virtual screening and then you'll talk to someone live not not unlike getting help on a lot of things in daily life the, the way that we do it today but um, but we're talking about people who have really pursued this apprenticeable career done done the related technical instruction and then completed uh, an apprenticeship um, the other thing that, you know, I didn't see this pointed out as a common duty, but, um, you know, if you're making any kind of move of a department or expanding a department, you know what has to be done. You've got to really look at um, re the, the moving and reconnecting all of the equipment. Certainly that would be done by support specialists. Um, and then they also provide help with most applications. So, you know, it, most IT departments have got uh, IT support personnel who can specialize in different areas relative to the occupation. So one thing that is in a healthcare IT shop, they, uh, because there is so much use of clinical systems involved, there are people who specialize in uh, working with the electronic health record in terms of assisting, um, assisting um, users um, and also who, uh, you know, some of this is so advanced. For example, you've got decision support systems embedded in electronic health records. And so the level of, the level of understanding of how these systems work to support the process of care uh, is very important. And so those, that kind of support is something that a tech support person um, can work into. Um, in an organization, and it's it's a very needed and really a very respected role. Again, bright outlook for this occupation. And so here are different titles for this same role, you know, this occupation, you know, sometimes called computer support specialist, technician, just uh, desktop support, very common, um, help desk technician, analyst, information technology specialist, and also um, the network, which of course is how, you know, uh, you know everything is, is connected. Um, you know, there are people who specialize at the network level versus the desktop level. So, um, you know, that, and that's something that too, in more advanced uh, roles within information technology for healthcare, um, you will see 
um, more, more training and, and additional certifications that go into um, moving people you know, up the career ladder in information technology. Now, you know, here's the other thing. I need to, need to make sure that this is clear. Um, health information management is seen, I mean, it is, it, you have the connotation of health in there, which is critical, or medical records, or health information management, because these are dedicated health occupations, and the apprenticeships are dedicated health occupations. But an IT apprenticeship does not have to be, be, be sponsored by a healthcare provider. And that is because most of the IT support um, and you know, the IT roles are needed regardless of the industry. So regardless of the industry. And I, you know, I was an IT leader for, uh, for 17 years in the long-term care space. And we did not require, uh, in my IT shop, we did not require that the, our uh, technicians and our support specialists coming in to work in our department, we did not require that they had healthcare experience because what was most important to us is that they had, they had the IT experience that they needed. So that's important to point out because you can move into a healthcare IT role without having done an apprenticeship at um, at uh, a hospital, for example. And in fact, there are, some, um, there are some organizations who specialize in apprenticeships and training of IT professionals. And many of them you know, come out of those kinds of areas. Now, they certainly, uh, as, they, as they start a role in a new role, they're going to, to have to be trained on uh, you know, the applications that are used in healthcare, but it's not as a, not the, the level of training that a clinician would need, but just to the level to get them um, comfortable with supporting users on those specific uh, clinical applications. So, uh, uh, you know, again, it's not, uh, most of these occupations are not HIT occupations that are apprenticeable, they are IT occupations that are apprenticeable. So let's talk about typical pay for computer user report uh, support. Um, here you can see, what, what do you notice about the average right off the bat? I bet it's that it's a little bit higher than that HIM, right? So um, that, you know, that's something that is, uh, you know, it's certainly motivational to those who uh, feel like they want to pursue IT. Uh, it's not surprising and, and not surprising at all when you look at the, the upper end here is a good 10,000 more uh, than what we saw on the HIM specialist uh, role. So that's encouraging for those uh, who want to pursue um, information technology. Um, and these numbers are not specific to healthcare. So that means all of this, this is a, based on what the uh, labor statistics wage data show. It's based on the role. It's not based on the setting. It's not based on the industry. But everything I showed you for HIM and coder, that, those are specific to healthcare. All right, so why might you want to start your career in healthcare? So if you want to go into healthcare, why does it make sense to look at an HIM or an IT role for healthcare? First of all, as we have stressed, it is high demand. Both of these roles are, des are designated as bright outlook occupations by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They're needed in all sectors of healthcare, and that's important. And those, the sectors of healthcare are, are, are evolving. So um, coming in today is a good time. Um, you know, it's, it's, especially because there is demonstrated need uh, today, and we know that the projections are, are in continuing to increase. Um, also, the other thing too is if you, if you this, these roles are well suited for those who really wanna work in healthcare, but they don't want to have a hands-on role. They don't want to provide direct patient care, but they wanna be in healthcare. Well, you are in healthcare when you are in, in either of these roles, absolutely. And in fact, here's another reason to do it. These roles are essential. Healthcare can't be delivered safely and reliably without these roles. Working in, in health information management or, health inf or information technology for healthcare 
provides opportunities to explore additional opportunities. So, you know, opportunities and, you know, careers evolve, opportunities um, are, are added. And with technology too, we've seen so much change and so much revision in job roles, but that's going to continue. Um, you know, with the application of artificial intelligence in healthcare, roles are, are changing and there are new tools that we can use um, to, to further our expertise. And, you know, the exciting thing about being involved in the information management and the information technology side for healthcare is you can be a part of those, those changes that, and the, the, tra the transformation that's going on in terms of roles. Um, the other thing is that these two roles that we've talked about, these are very solid, they're essential, and they're just very solid for, um, for people who want to say, well, you know, what is a career I can build on? Because these are recognized and respected roles in healthcare. Um, so what could be your next path? So let's say that you uh, have decided that you that this sounds appealing to you, whether you want to, to move into a coding role, what could you do after that? Well, here are some examples. You can go into health data analysis. And in fact, AHIMA has a certification around this. And guess what? There's even an apprenticeship around it. Yep. Um, you can move into clinical documentation improvement. And AHIMA actually has a certification for this. AAPC, I talked about that a little bit earlier, um, they have a certification for doing it in, on the, at the outpatient level, but not the inpatient level. And this is far more commonly seen on in the inpatient level. Um, you could move into a role of a coding manager. And this is something that's very, um, becoming very lucrative is a, an auditor. Um, because with, given the, the nature of reimbursement, a lot of auditing of coding, the coding and billing function goes on. So people who've got a solid background in coding can also move into auditor roles. And in fact, AAPC actually has a certification for people auditing in that, in, uh, of, of coding and billing data. You can move into a medical record or an HIM director role. If when you have worked in a core area like coding, you become familiar with all of the operations, so that could be a move. Uh, you could be a billing manager. Uh, you could actually manage aspects of the revenue cycle management. And here, privacy and security. So um, the, the HIPAA Act um, actually created this the role of privacy. Some have, people have de dedicated privacy officers. Some organizations have dedicated se security officers that are for, for HIPAA. And some people combine the two into one. Uh, as the CIO, I was actually also the privacy officer for the National Long-Term Care Company that I worked with. Um, and I had my head of, my head of technology, of infrastructure, uh, serve as the security officer because most of the security required technology enforcement. Um, so, and here's the other thing, this role right here, privacy and security, AHIMA has a certification for that. Um, and then you can also become a compliance manager or a compliance officer. Compliance and billing is a big thing. In fact, AAPC also has a certification in this. And um, there is the health HCCA stands for Healthcare Compliance Association, and they also have certifications of different types and levels that they provide uh, for compliance uh, people working in compliance roles in healthcare. Now, what are other things that you can do with um, the computer user support uh, occupation if you have pursued that one? Um, you can move up in the ranks to actually get to the level of being a security analyst a network administrator, computer systems administrator. So there, these are, so there are some similarities with these roles, but the, having the, the, the core foundation as a user support specialist uh, would be very, uh, very, here again, solid ground to build on to advance to some of these other roles. Um, programmer, there you can actually do an apprenticeship in, in, with uh, programming as well. And so here we're talking about programming in terms of applications, in terms of, of um, uh, you know, database administration, using the, the tools that, that, uh, that you have there. Information assurance specialist is also an elevated role. 
system security officer, IT security analyst, and cybersecurity, which of course is getting uh, more and more attention, and you know, certainly healthcare, um, when you know there have been instances of of of, of actually high, high, you know, uh, hacking and essentially. Um, you know, hijacking an electronic health record uh, for ransom. So, uh, you know, it, it, this is taken very seriously. Uh, one thing that, uh, that I have noticed as I went through and looked at the detail for, uh, you know, for, um, to refresh my mind on some of the, these, uh, these occupations is that uh, when you look at the education required um, for some of these advanced roles, uh, it was very, uh, you know, uh, rarely saw uh, that most didn't ha at least have a bachelor's degree. But if you've got the experience behind you and certifications that go along with it at a lower level, you can still move into these additional roles, especially if you're going to enter an apprenticeship for some of these roles. And so these are all roles that exist um, and, and their apprenticeships uh, do exist for them. Um, so let's see. Um, so, in talking about how you research these things and find these things out, um, uh, and, and I relied heavily on this apprenticeship.gov site as well as um, ONET Online, which is O N E T O N L I N E. So, ONETonline.org. Apprenticeship.gov is a site that uh, that is uh, it's actually multifunction. Uh, it's for career seekers, so people who might be looking for a career might, might be looking for, you know, to understand what's the nature of the apprenticeships available. Employers who might be looking at establishing an apprenticeship for educators. Um, so it's it is it's multifunction, and there is a lot of information here. But if you were wanting to do further uh, further uh, investigation of some of the uh, occupations I've mentioned here, you could go in here and you could actually select under resources, you could select apprenticeship tools here. So I've actually got it mapped here. And then you could go to the occupation finder and it's actually going to get you here. And you can search either by industry, if you want to look at, oh, I just want to see what all is in healthcare. You could pull up all of the different healthcare um, uh, apprenticeship occupations. Or if you know that you want to look at um, uh, at computer support specialist, you could put the put keywords in there and search for it. And what it will pull up for you is um, a, a selection of different um, uh, codes and different, uh, you know, high level uh, titles for the different roles. And then from there, you typically will have the ability to link right to that, uh, to the o, to the ONET code, the onetonline.org, to pull up tons of information on any of those occupations that you choose to look at. And so here are examples of the, uh, at least the kinds of information that you can get on every single one of these apprenticeable occupations by the Department of Labor. So you're gonna see the tasks, tech skills that are required, what kind of tools are used, the knowledge base, work schools, what kind of abilities, uh, the, the nature of the work activities, and it's interesting because, for example, you can even get a percentage of time that people spend doing their job either via email or in person or on the phone. Uh, so it's really quite interesting to see how much data, um, the data have been gathered to put all this together. Education levels, the credentials and the certification that's available. So you can see where I got a lot of the information that I presented to you. Um, what are the work interests that go along with this? In other words, de depending on if you've got interest in a certain direction, um, you know, uh, or, or what were the most common interests for people who chose that particular occupation? Uh, occupations that are related, that may have some common ground, wages, which you've seen, and you can also uh, link right to job openings. So um, this is very, it's a, a very rich source. And this is, this again is, Onet online, O N E T O online.org. So, this presentation um, is uh, one of several that we have put together to talk about apprenticeships that are that particularly um, suit 
youth uh, apprentices. And so these have included uh, the certified medical assistant, which is also a bright outlook career, the certified nurse's assistant, bright outlook, home health aides, bright outlook, health and then the one that we have completed today. And of course, we talked about uh, two roles here. Uh, the, other, the other slide presentations you may wanna take a look at, they won't be as long as this one has been because we were talking about two, two occupation directions in one slide presentation. Um, so that so I encourage you to to, um, to go there. You can link directly to these pre, um, presentations at uh, futureishealth.com. And here's the list of resources and references for youth apprenticeships in general and apprenticeships. Uh, some additional information, some articles, some white papers, um, some background. You know, when I've referred to the landscape changing, uh, you know, you can see some of the reading material there. So you may want to uh, take advantage of those additional resources. And we'll be posting additional resources also um, at futureishealth.com uh, that will be useful to you. So we're done. I want to thank you for your time and attention today. Uh, please come back and visit us at futureishealth.com and please take time to fill out the survey and uh, let us know how we can improve. Let us know what else you might want to see. Thank you very much. Have a great day.